broadcasting from a dark basement office. The FBI's most unwanted presents the X-Files podcast. Hey everybody, this is Dean with the X-Files podcast. Just breaking into the middle of this. I just want to segue into the interview by telling you that that's what you're about to hear. Uh, Larry Muster was gracious enough to give Josh and I some time to talk to him about the X-Files, his role in Jose, Chung, in Jose Chung, and of course his great and storied career as an actor. And we think you guys are going to get a lot from this interview that we had, and I just want to uh, shut up so we can get it going. But before I do that, I do want to thank Larry very much for gracing us with his presence. It was very cool of him to come in. So if you're listening, Larry, thank you very much. Josh and I couldn't have been happier with our discussion for you. We were over the moon, sir. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I wish you the best of luck in the uh, rest of your career. All right, guys, I'm going to shut it down and I'm going to ramp up this and here we go. We're going to drop this because as Dean said, we have some episodes I recorded when we were picking them. So Jose right. Chung's is coming up in our in our lineup. And okay. so kind of a per- perfect opportunity. Um, this is going to be a great little surprise for the listeners. Record this, have this discussion with you. That's going to drop in um, as a separate episode along with Jose Chung's um, into that feed. So this is this is new for us. We don't have any kind of specific format. Dean and I were chatting a little bit about just kind of stuff we want to talk about. Um, Dean brought up some great points. We'll just throw it at you. Again, there's no... Uh, it's open. It's comfortable. Um, definitely don't have uh, any ratings to worry about. So if you let slip a curse okay. word here, or there, we we will certainly <laughs> probably do that at some point. Um, yeah. But definitely would love to talk about um, your involvement with the X Files, just the industry in general. That's another thing too yeah. that Dean's probably had brought. You know, just kind of asking about the process of making a TV show and what what that's like and what a day's like and things like that. So sure. No word to say bleepity bleep and bleeps. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, yeah, that's interesting. You're showing Jose Chung because right. the bleeping guy is uh, <laughs> the guy who's happening there. Yeah, the colorful phraseology, I think, is the line that uh, your character uses, Larry. So <laughs> you don't have to be concerned with that here. <laughs> okay, good, good. I don't have to use those bleeps, eh? No, that's for sure. <laughs> good. So um, just as a kind of a, a tech side note, we, this is not going to record on here, his voice. So I'm just recording the entire meeting and then I'll just pull his audio off and throw it on the pod. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a mi- mini panic about five minutes ago. Hopefully you didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> so I am recording this on Zoom, which I assume you're okay with, Larry. I just want to be, be honest and get your consent about me recording this. Of course. This yeah. Okay. No, awesome. Thanks no so problem. much. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to the show. And so a couple of things, you probably know this immediately in talking to us. We're not interviewers. This isn't, we typically don't interview people, but the opportunity came up and we didn't want to pass on it. And um, we just, we give our opinions and some of our insights on the X-Files and what it meant to us growing up, looking back on it all these years later and, uh, and what that means to us. And a lot of times we don't have answers to questions about what happens inside the industry. And obviously, X-Files is a tiny portion of your very lengthy career. So obviously, you know a lot about the industry. How does one become, how, how do you, Larry, get to be in this industry and why do you go there? How did I uh, originally get into the industry? Yeah. And why? 
Well, you know, I took sort of a side door through uh, so many actors uh, come up ha- having taken acting classes and then getting stage plays and sure and doing that. I came in through the media. I was in radio and uh, I I was in there for a few years, actually. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed radio being a, a disc jockey for a while. Not. Not to be confused with what a disc jockey is today, uh, sure. playing <laughs> mixes at clubs and varying <laughs> the tempo and the uh, and the tone of the music, actually queuing up records and playing them on the radio, <laughs> and, and and that was a whole process in itself. And so I did that. I did talk shows. I wrote. I produced. And then I had an opportunity uh, opportunity to audition for something through my wife, who was a casting director. And I, I stayed right the hell away from it until she said, you should read for this because you could do it just being you, right? Interesting. Yeah, so I went in there and read it and got the part. Now I'm interested. Now I really want to find out about this because I, I loved the whole process. I, I enjoyed doing what I did. And so then I took these acting classes and workshops and uh, read for plays and anything like industrial films, educational films, whatever there was, I uh, I tried to get involved. And then when the business started to really crack open in Vancouver, which was a place where I had already been for a pretty good portion of my life, I went back and took it from there. X-Files comes along among, well, many other shows were coming out of Vancouver there at that time too. But yeah, that's how I got uh, got in. And uh, the more I did it, the more I loved it. X-Files, that was, you mentioned that going to Vancouver. That was one of the biggest early shows to really kind of grow the industry up there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one that did well for Vancouver though before that, which I was on, was um, MacGyver. In... in the late 80s and early 90s, that's pre-X-Files, MacGyver was a pretty big hit show on ABC. So I managed to get a guest starring role on that. And I think that's what kind of put me up there in terms of even getting in the opportunity to audition for better roles. You know, up until that, it was all little walk-on parts and anything you could get, you know, if you got a part that went over two days of shooting, you uh, you were pretty happy with that. So... Yeah, that changed after after MacGyver, really. And and mm. plus, do you know who Stephen J. Cannell is, by any chance? I do not. Oh, God, he did a bunch of shows. What the heck were they called? I'm trying to, trying to remember the name of his uh, some of his TV series. But he was a big U.S. producer, and he had a couple of TV shows coming out of there. So um, I, I got on a couple of them, too. I'm sorry to say I can't even remember the names of these damn things, but they were. <laughs> you get a lot of credit, so yeah, <laughs> I can't well, imagine you can rattle them all off. No, that one, but that one was, yeah, well, that one was popular though, and and I just being on it helped again. So by the time X Files got there, um, I'm not going to say they knew who I was, but I had a pretty good resume already. You know, I did have a specific question too about. I don't know how unique this is to the X-Files. The X-Files is the only TV show that Dean and I cover together. So it's the <laughs> okay. one that I'm seeing the, the most often looking at uh, IMDb, things like that. And it's not common, but you're not the only actor that has multiple credits um, on X-Files on different episodes playing different characters. Right. So 
what was that process like um, getting your first casting and how does that work? Is it kind of you're, you, now that you're known to them and may, do they call you back or are you sort of uh, in, that, in that area where you have some kind of connection you, and you can audition for, for roles that come up down the road? Because, you know, four, four credits on the X-Files over four different seasons and then also on Millennium, which is another Chris Carter show, a lot of crossover there. So mm. I guess basically, how did you, how did you first kind of get your foot in the door and then, you know, what kept bringing you back? Well, you're exactly right. You know, you, the, the auditions get better, the, the more they know you. And um, even before I got cast in the first thing, which was a smaller role, it was a, a witchcraft episode called uh, De Hunt de Ferlets. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And one of my personal favorites. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was an interesting show. No, no question. But before I got that, I had auditioned a number of times, you know, and then finally, when they did select me for that particular role, once I had worked on the show, they offered better parts as time went along, you know, and, and that one in, in the show you're about to, uh, to, uh, to play, uh, um, Jose Chung, that was a really good role and they pretty much offered it to me. They just, they kind of called me in to uh, basically see how I would handle the swearing detective. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and when I swore like a trooper, they thought, Oh yeah. Okay. He'll hear <laughs> and then they said, now that we know you can swear, here's what you have to say. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> I, I, and I said, well, you don't want me to swear and you're going to just put the bleeps in. You want me to say bleep. <laughs> it's a very said, unique episode for sure. Yeah. And so they said, yeah, so let's read that again with you saying the bleeps and the blanks. And I went, okay. So <laughs> I did it and they said, thanks very much. And I left. And before, <clears throat> excuse me, before I even got home, they'd called the agent and said, yeah, but he's at the park. So that's how that worked. And then, you know, after that, they were off, they would come up if they thought, uh, if they thought a role suited me, they would get in touch. You know, it was like that. You know, I, I just watched, um, and we'll mention the, the episodes specifically, all of them that you were in there, but I most recently watched Chinga last night. Same. Right. And it's, you know, it's funny to see it go from that, you know, the first episode, Dehan, where I think you just have the, the one scene, you know, you're the, yep. the sheriff or the officer there as yep. Mulder and Scully get to town to, in Chinga, it's really, it's the Gillian Anderson, Larry Muster show, you know, with, with special appearance by David Duchovny, right. Absolutely. <laughs> who, yeah. who's not even in most of the episodes. So that's, I mean, that's a really impressive, you know, transition over the course of, of these few years to, to, to go from one scene to carrying the weight of a show. Season five was, if anything, at the top of its popularity. And yeah. you're sitting there back and forth with Gillian Anderson. That's, that's pretty impressive. That was good. That was a nice, and, and that, that part, they pretty much offered to me because they, again, they called me in to read just so I, and, and Chris Carter said, you got to sort of do a, uh, it wasn't a New England accent. It was a Maine accent a little bit. So he said, just, you know, say things like, are you up? And, and yes, uh, I noticed that right know, away. <laughs> that kind of thing. And I went, sure. Okay. And he said, okay, so let's do this one scene where you do that. And I said, sure. So I, I did it. And he said, oh, yeah, that's fine. OK. Uh, and um, yeah, Stephen King wrote that. So it had a it had a big buildup of audience. And I remember thinking that it was quite impressive that 
the Olympics were on when they showed that episode. And that was the one show on their whole schedule that outdrew the Olympics. Now, every other time slot, the Olympics was slaying everybody like they usually do. But uh, X-Files came on and there was a big tune-in factor to that <laughs> episode because Stephen King wrote it and the X-Files, like you say, were right at the top of their popularity. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And a lot of people after that knew who I was. Let me put it that way. That's outstanding. You know, when I was thinking, it, Chinga, watching it, that I, uh, I picked up on that immediately. Josh and I are actually both in New England. So oh, it's, yeah. it, it had to, it, we're in Massachusetts, which is interesting that you yeah. were asked to speak a specific way with a specific patois or so, or so yeah. to speak. But when I, when, I, when I watch you perform in Jose Chung, the first thing that I notice is it just seems very natural to me. Mm. And then what happens is, is when I go and I watch Chinga, I go, well, this seems natural too. And a lot of times with, you know, with actors who get sometimes smaller or even larger roles, a lot of times you feel like they're kind of always doing the same routine. But mm. even in just two X-Files episodes, I see very different characters. And, you know, what I, I kind of want to talk about your headspace on something like that, because, you know, you're, you're talking about your disc doc jockey days. You're talking about how your wife said you should read for this part because of who you are. That, yeah. that, that's really interesting to me because then you've got these two very, very distinct characters. You know, obviously you told me Chris gave you some direction, but outside mm -hmm. of the little direction to say those things, how do you come up with deciding how to play a character? Yeah, well, that's always, that's always a crapshoot, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, even, um, and especially auditioning because you can go in the room and you've got a number of ways you can do a character. And so you say, you kind of read the room and talk to these people. And uh, I try to zero in on it just by what how they respond. And so you pick one of those ways you've thought of. And sometimes, unknown to you, you shot so wide that they just say, thanks very much. That's it. And that's, all. that's the last thing you hear about. It. Huh. Other times you go in there and you say, oh, God, I think I picked wrong as you leave and you got the part. So this is a really, like, that's why I say it's a crapshoot. So you, mm. you go in there and it's a guessing game. But once you've got the role, then you can talk to the director, to the producers. Not the writer in this case, because that was Stephen King. But, you know, <laughs> they, like, they had a lot of good writers on that show. Darren Morgan and, uh, you know, to, to, to mention him, there's, uh, um, oh, gosh, what was the, uh, I'm sometimes not uh, grasping the names, but I, I could look on a credit list and Kim, and Kim Manners did a, yes, a lot of, of good course. episodes. And, and, yeah, and there was um, what was his name? It was almost like a name like Jose Chung. What was his uh, name? Uh, uh, Glenn Wong? Yeah. Glenn Wong. See, now, these guys are all really good writers, so if they're around, you can get a lot from them, you know. Often they're not around because they've written, they've written the, the episode and they're gone, but these guys were all writer, producer, directors, so... Uh -huh. They were quite often around the set. And, do, do, uh, and, you know, yeah. So gather all these things together and you figure out a way to respond to when Gillian Anderson says something to you based <laughs> on what you've gleaned from all these people. And that's, and, and, and the big part is what you can put into it yourself. Yeah. You got to put a little bit of you in there because if you don't, then you're just acting. You know, right. you're you're not being the character, uh, finding a way to be the character like this guy in, in uh, uh, Chinga. 
you know, small town police chief with a lot of weird shit going on. So you got to think that. I mean, does he really believe that there's witchcraft going? Um, <laughs> what is it? What would he really do when he sees these people hurting themselves like that? You know, the people he's known uh, all his life. Uh, he probably started as a beat cop and moved up to police chief. You know, like that woman uh, who was playing the record. She knew him as soon as she opened the door and says, "Yeah, I got a few things to say to you, Jack Von Sand." And you see, you got to be that guy. You can't be. You can't be acting there. And I think that's the secret of it. You got to be that guy. That's, you know? that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Do, do you, yeah. do you ever notice, you know, you say you go in and maybe you shoot wide on the, on the, uh, interview, uh, on the, uh, audition. audition. And yeah. then maybe you, you, you're like, well, that was terrible. And you get the call. And then yeah. you say, once you get to the show, suddenly now I have, I can talk to the director. Has there ever been an instance where you auditioned the character a certain way and then you got to the director and totally went a different direction with it? Or is it always still kind of stay close to the audition style of character? Both, really. Okay. Uh, sometimes I've, I've auditioned and they've said, that's it. That's exactly what we want. Other times they say, well, that was an interesting audition and you're an interesting type. Can you do this? Ah. And so that happens in a callback stage or... And if you if you get a callback, you know that they're re- really interested. <laughs> or, or if you get the uh, the part, then of course you can really zero in on it, right? Perfect. But the callback, they will tell you what they want, and it might be quite different than what you did. But they saw something in you where they went, "I'll bet he can do this if uh, if we give him this instruction," right? <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. And then to throw in the the role we hadn't mentioned, the X Files role we hadn't mentioned on uh, Unrequited. You oh, play yeah. a, a far-right <laughs> militia leader, basically. I mean, I going ab- about as far from, from quote, type as, as uh, those other roles. So, yeah. it's, again, it's very interesting to see that callback. There's something that they're looking for from you, and yet it's a very different thing that you're, you're portraying. And you, you know, you have, in Chinga, you're this, like I said, the small-town police chief kind of mild-mannered and unassuming yeah. and then yeah. you have this kind of Im- imposing intimidating air of like pending violence in in unrequited a very 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 different role um so i guess i would ask i mean all these 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 four very very different things you did uh in the x-files specifically is there one that stands out as as more fun that you know was there one that was more comfortable or one that was just very outside what you usually do that kind of uh, was more notable or, and I guess, you know, what, what jumps to mind thinking about those? Well, you know, I would answer those things you asked in, in three different ways. One that was really fun, of course, was Jose Chung, because it was just so wacky. And so <laughs> you had to be wacky on set, right? <laughs> and and there were these funny actors around that did various uh, parts in that, you know, like the guy that was always shining his flashlight uh, up at the sky and, uh, you know, and looking at light bulbs and stuff exploding. And he got into, you know, that's a very funny uh, stage actor in, from Vancouver. And uh, it was just great to be around all those people. And so that was fun. Now, the most challenging role certainly was the one of the militia guy, because that's so far from me. (laughs) I didn't get that impression. I was expecting uh, different things hanging up behind you, perhaps. (laughs) Really? I mean, that's like, how am I going to be this guy? And they, 
they actually expanded that part, you know, as we went along. Like it, just to begin with, there was the scene where they go out to his compound and all the dogs are there and everything. And then there's the scene in jail. And that's all there was. But they, as we started shooting, they kept calling me back and saying, hey, we've added some more some more connective tissue for this guy. We've added some more parts to his character because, because he's the guy who taught the invisible assassin how to be who he was. So we want that to come out, right? So this got more and more challenging because I thought, okay, like this guy really, he's obviously a vet, Vietnam vet who figures the government really <laughs> left him for dead, right? So right. he's got to be totally bitter and at the same time doesn't give a shit. Right. <laughs> right doesn't give a shit when they come to uh investigate him and say you're going to jail it's like yeah big deal i don't care right fuck you right and and that had to co- go all the way through even at the point where the general comes in and says you know if you don't start talking here you're going to be locked away for a long time even then i have to show i don't give a shit right because because i say well do what you want to me this guy is going to come and cut your throat so take that right <laughs> so that's kind you of certainly sold it <laughs> so so hard, hard balance to keep where it against what i really wanted to say or wanted <laughs> to be at that moment and i had to be this guy instead so in that role the the, the militia man in particular i'm sorry his name escapes me it's denny markham denny denny <laughs> markham yeah so yeah. with markham do you you know one of the things you were talking about in Chinga was like I'm imagining how this cop comes up. I imagine him as a B cop. I imagine his yeah. sheltered worldview and suddenly there's witchcraft and now I have to portray that. Now yeah. that probably puts you in a certain headspace. Now oh, I'm yeah. not so I'm not suggesting you may or may not do method acting, but with with Markin, do you find yourself getting into the headspace of what a militia man might be like? And when and when they say cut and you go home at night, are you like thinking? Like, oh, I feel these dark thoughts still. Does that happen? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes, it does. And, and you know, um, especially when they, I'd get home and they'd say, oh, they've got some more scenes for this <laughs> guy. I go, oh. Well, I mean, you're delighted that they want the character to be in the of show course. more. And at the same time, you go, I got to go back down that really dark avenue again sure. and tomorrow. I wasn't counting. I thought tomorrow I was going to have a day off and go and do the some shopping or go sit in a dark theater and watch a, a light co- a romantic <laughs> comedy or something, you know. And and they say, no, no, God, yeah, we got to get this guy uh, some more scenes. Well, at the end of, of uh, the entire shoot, I was uh, – I didn't know whether I liked what I'd done. And I, I I looked at the final product and thought, yeah, well, that's close enough. That's right. close enough. I can see little things I would have done different, but it it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect um uh system, is it? You you never do it absolutely the best way you can, and then that's done. You can you can always add a few more colors to the painting, you know? Sure. Always, always. And a TV show's got a week and a few days to shoot, so that's what you got, right? Yeah, I actually, I wanted to ask about that because, you know, outsider, just, you know, a layman's in a home watching it. And as we're going back and, you know, kind of gotten used to the way TV is now with, you know, eight to 10 episodes per season. Yeah. And we're going back, we're covering these seasons of, 24 episodes yeah so much how does that so what's the pace of shooting like for 
for an episode. How does that work to, you know, what's the time span? You, you mentioned a week and a few days. How yeah. does that work? And, and are there people that are transitioning in and out that are, that are kind of moving on to doing pre-production on the, on the next episode or post on the last, you know, as briefly as you can, like, what does the actual process of an episode look like for you um, as, as an actor in that one? Like on set. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on set. There's an energy level. I should say there was an energy level on that show that I didn't really experience anywhere else. Um, and everybody was so positive. And even though they were really working hard and, and had long days and long nights ahead of them, they kept um, uh, a remarkable attitude about what they were doing and, and pride in their, in their work. And that can't help but come to you. Like you're not going to be the one who goes, Oh, I'm only going to do this scene half assed right? <laughs> like, I'm just going to mail this one in. Right. You, you, you can't do that. And it just kind of, you get caught up in that and away you go. And yes, you're right. Um, some of the people on the, especially uh, the art department and uh, costume and, and uh, some of the others would be already prepping the next episode as you got to the last few days of shooting of that one. So they might have to come running back. If they'd be back at the studio, you'd be on location somewhere. Sometimes they'd have to go running back there and then come back and, and wrap their part of the show, right, for, for that day shooting. So that's the kind of energy I'm talking about. And, and I never heard any – I was on that show four times. I never heard anybody grumble ever saying – Oh, I'm just getting tired of this shit. You know, like they're working our asses off and standing out here in the rain up in Mount Seymour. I hate this shit. I never heard that ever. That <laughs> negative negativity. I really didn't. And I heard it on a lot of other shows, I'll tell you, but not that one. Not that one. And, you know, they had a pretty good budget for the time. You know, we're talking 90s here and they had over a million bucks per episode to shoot. Which in those, you know, today's dollars, that would be phenomenal. I don't know what it would be even uh, for a, to do a show like that, right? Some pretty good, good craft services over there on the side. <laughs> pretty good craft services. I never, I never was uh, short of any of those. <laughs> yeah. So, no, uh, that was the process. You got on the set and you, uh, you went to the, um, the read through and then away you went. And yeah, it, you know, the first one only on it one day uh the second one uh jose chung i was on it several days even though the scenes weren't longer i was in a bunch of different locations and a bunch of different scenes so i was usually at work i might be hanging around uh waiting to do some of my shots but that was great because i liked the show i liked the people all right and and by the time it was uh it was the stephen king one i worked every day and long days on that one yeah, I wanted to ask too. So as part, was it going through your head? You know, I'm sure you had to be incredibly stoked. You're, you're on yet another episode of the X-Files. Now you're, you're co-starring with Gillian Anderson on an episode written by Stephen King. I mean, <laughs> it, it, and it's a great one, but yeah. was there a part of you that's like, okay, shit, this might be it. I think people are going to recognize my face if they haven't by now. I don't yeah. know if I'm going to be able to come back to this show because people will be like, wait a second. That's yeah. the guy from Maine. Did, yeah, did that kind of cross your mind when you were doing that episode? Yeah, it did. But then I don't know if you remember this, but the very next year they left. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> and they went back to LA. So yeah. 
You know, I used to see David Duchovny around here and there, and he said, uh, hey, how are you doing? I'm sure we'll see you next season. And then the next time I saw him, he said, uh, well, I guess we won't see you this season unless we get you, <laughs> unless we get you down to, to L.A. And I went, well, I'll come down to L.A. <laughs> it, it just never happened. No, it never happened. But yeah, I did think that. I did think that. <laughs> so going back to some of the shooting stuff, you know, what, what, I, what I always am curious about, and, and, and it always makes me wonder, it's almost like a, a twofold question. There's, there's always a part of me that wonders if actors become, like if the magic goes away, uh, sort of, what am I looking for? Like the, how the sausage is made. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. Like, obviously you're a disc jockey. You probably were a television and movie fan ahead of your career. Yeah. And now suddenly you get there, you stand yeah. on the X's, you look at the lights, you read the thing. They say, yeah. cut, you stand here. Does it, does the magic of storytelling or, or, or television or movies, does it, do you find yourself feeling it less or did you find yourself feeling it more as a result of your experience seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak? I found it more because, you know, all those magic shots, like I, suppose the first movie that ever really uh, blew me away was uh, Goldfinger, James Bond. That that just set a whole new level of movie making, right? And I was I was big into movies, and when I saw that, I went, "Holy shit! How, <laughs> how would they even uh, accomplish that?" Sure. Right? I'm thinking that way back then. Even well, I had no interest in really being in it. I had a lot of interest in going. So later, when I saw exactly what does go into it and then went and looked i went i would be uh i would be e- even more enthralled with it because i i knew what kind of effort went into it right yeah yeah and and how many guys had to load so much camera equipment and go up onto uh, that high spot and pull that cable up there and a great big 4k light and put that in the perfect spot and then you know uh, it, it looks like a bunch of a mess and then you see the final shot and go shit mm. it really worked <laughs> yeah a lot a lot of times when i'm reading about movies the one thing i always say to myself is it's a miracle this got made based of yeah. all the production issues yeah. that happen all the time yeah and like you guys were saying the uh you know you only got a little over a week to shoot a show like x-files those guys really had to bust their ass you know mm-hmm. to, to get that all in the can week after week and once it got a, a reputation for being a, a good show and people were looking forward to it then you know they even worked harder i think you know to make sure that quality level uh sustained i mean yeah i was always duly impressed and and really felt uh uh, proud and happy to to have been part of it for a while you know for a while i made my living as an actor so that that was something that was never in my mind until I, almost until <laughs> i was doing it you know really what well, was there a particular role when you said i don't think i'm going back to the radio station <laughs> oh yeah yeah um well you know i kept radio going part-time because i did love it i really mm-hmm. did and 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 uh i was in in radio I, I don't know if you guys know much about canada but uh this is british columbia and next door to us is alberta and there are two medium-sized cities in alberta edmonton and calgary i was in edmonton if and that has a hockey about, team i know where it is yeah we're a pretty good hockey team <laughs> <laughs> and and uh yeah so edmonton had a little film business kind of a burgeoning film business um yeah, even before, like Vancouver got going in the late 80s, 
Edmonton had some stuff going on in the mid 80s. So uh, I, I kind of got attached to it um, way back then. And so I tried to keep the radio going as much as I could. And then at a point where I, somebody said, oh, you got the commercial. You're, they're going to fly to Winnipeg to shoot this commercial. Mm. I went, okay, I'm not going back to the radio. <laughs> yeah, that was it's that. Just, it's getting too crazy now, right? And then my old stomping ground of Vancouver fired up, and uh, I, of course, immediately wanted to get out there. That's where all the work was and opportunities. And I never tried to get back into radio again. Right. Yeah. When when I'm, you are, you miss it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did oh, you yeah. want to ask? I do. I do. I loved it. Yeah. yeah so I, you actually is something you you hinted at that I had wanted to ask you um, in advance. Question I was kicking around in my head. <clears throat> you know, you have a lot of credits. You are on a lot of iconic tv you know we, we already mentioned macgyver mm-hmm. outer yeah. limits twilight yeah. zone yeah. millennium x files sliders lonesome dove i mean i'm just naming a few but some incredibly iconic recognizable stuff um from 80s and 90s and the 2000s you said something about the the feeling on the set of the x files <clears throat> and yes. dean and i are very biased but we're sitting here <laughs> you know doing this x files podcast about the show that you know except for the revival is 25 plus years old. Yep. And we have this dedicated crew of listeners that are coming back and they're not coming back week after week just for Dean and I. They're coming back because <laughs> it's it's this show that there is something about it. And what would you say from all, from your insider perspective um, beyond the final product that we see, mm-hmm. what is it about this show that was so special, that was so different, that, that has made it such a long lasting, iconic and, and influential show? Well, I'm. I think I can answer that uh, from my point of view quite easily. It's it's the the people, it's the creators, the writers, and uh, uh, just everyone in every position seemed to be not only capable but uh, personable and uh, and uh, uh, helpful and 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 a good communicator and good with people and. All those things, I think, went together and and, and showed in that final uh, uh, product. And, you know, I went to Chicago last year because it was the 25th anniversary and they were celebrating it with one of those uh, uh, ex-cons, you know, with a, a convention and fans were came from all over the bloody world. I was amazed. Hmm. That was a tremendous um, uh, event. And I spent time talking to uh, Frank Spotnitz, who's... He's moved on into all kinds of different, like European co-production movies and and shows out of Britain and all this stuff. He's a really great guy, and and yet the night of the cocktail party in the middle midst of this uh, event last year, he gave a speech saying, "I have never seen anything like this show and all of the stuff I've done because." This spirit that is imbued in this show still exists, even here at this cocktail party and at this event here in Chicago. I still I see these people again, and that spirit comes right back. So uh, I guess he put it in as good a words as I could when he said all that. And, uh, and he was one of the creators, you know, like after Chris Carter, I think you'll find that Frank Spotnix as, as a writer and uh, executive producer and um, pretty much co-creator almost, right? He'd be the number two guy, I think. Awesome. Yeah, interesting so, guy. 
One of the things I want to ask, and I know we're, we're just as a time check, we're, we're, we are uh, just over 40 minutes. So obviously we want to be respectful of your time. But one of the things Josh and I talk about, and we talk to our listeners about all the time, and we can use X-Files or anything that you remember very well as an example. What exactly is day in the life like on a set like X-Files? You drive down there or you have a trailer or, you know, we, we see movies about actors and we go, oh, that must be what it's like, but we don't really know. So I want to, I, I would be crazy not to take advantage of an opportunity to have a professional tell me I get there, I have some coffee, I look at my script, I walk down, I stand on the X, I talk to this person, you know, how, what, without, you know, without it being too cumbersome to discuss, can you give us an example of what a day shooting would be like? Yeah, okay, sure. I think uh, now th- there's going to be a slight difference between the first day I'm on the X-Files set and doing Chinga because by uh, by the time I'm on Chinga, I've got this whole great big trailer to myself. Sure, right? sure. <laughs> really nice. On the very first one, I've got a little room and a trailer that's got several compartments in it, and I'm one of the, <laughs> the day players, basically, right? So there's a big difference there. That's you know, I loved that part where I got the big trailer, um, and I had that for, uh, I guess, for the other three, pretty much. Nah. A medium one for uh, Jose, <laughs> a good one for a good one for uh, uh, unrequited. But so I get there, and the first thing you do is there's a third AD that comes up to you. That's third assistant uh, director, and they always, it's always the third and second ADs that really look after the actor. The first ADs on the set, making sure the shot is what they want, and the right people are there, and all that kind of thing. So the third AD shows you to where your dressing room is and says, uh, I'll come back and get you when makeup's ready for you. Okay. Okay. So you've got some time to uh, get into your your costumes hanging in the trailer. So you put that on, you hang around. uh, If you've got a moment, look at the the scenes for the day. It's always good to do that and, um, and make sure you've got, everything together about the way you're going to do it and i'll tell you right now sometimes i would change that when i at the rehearsal just before the shot just on a feeling Hmm. but anyway you look you look at the script then you do makeup and then you go back to your trailer and then they say um your shot's up next and so that's when you really start to dig in and try and get shit down and if you're in the first scene of the day that's a whole different ball game. Like you're kind of in a rush right from the moment you get there. And it all depends on how quick the, uh, the grips can get it lit and the gaffers. Uh, I mean, the grips can move the equipment, the gaffers can get it lit and it, it might take a little longer. So you do have some time and you wander over to that craft services table. <laughs> you're talking about uh, Other times it's like, okay, uh, let's, let's do a rehearsal at least. And then they'll, They'll get the uh, the stand-ins to come in, uh, and and they'll light that, and then they'll get you to rehearse, and and away you go, right? Sometimes it's like that. Other times you'll you'll go and you'll get all pumped up and ready for the shot, and they'll say, "Oh, 
They've changed the shot list. Relax. You go, oh, okay. Right. Have you ever have you ever had a meltdown on a lighting guy like Christian Bale? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? <laughs> no, no, I haven't been anything like Christian. Get out of my Bale. shot. <laughs> that guy's a pretty intense guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I would not ever do that to anybody on course. On this, you know, I I know how hard those people work and. Sometimes they're pretty underappreciated for what they do. Yeah. I would be the last guy to say anything. Like, you know, some hothead star. Um, I'll give you a name of nameless. You may have to edit this out and maybe he'll come after me, but <laughs> Al Kilmer was a hot-headed star. Okay. Ooh, Somebody like imagine. him would really, really upset <laughs> the, the whole apple cart, right? Mm. Just by the way he behaves. And it's like he's, you know, there's this almost and he was he's a great actor it's really too bad to be like this because i've worked with other great actors that aren't like that but he you just didn't know if it was going to be an explosion or slamming the uh, makeup trailer door and trying to drive off in in a, a, a teamster's truck because he was <laughs> tired of waiting and <laughs> this, this kind of shit you know <laughs> didn't know what was coming now on the other side of that is a guy who I think is one of the best actors I've ever worked with, maybe the best, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, I had a feeling you were going to say that. We had to ask him about you at some point. He's like one of the most gentle, uh, generous, uh, modest guys. And he's brilliant, you know, Mm. and he never behaves like that ever. And I I spent a month on a set on the set with him on on, uh, the edge. Yeah. Jesus, I I loved the guy, and we we became friends for a while actually after that. And uh, don't stay in touch now. Things kind of, uh, you know, get apart in that if you're not doing the same thing, sort of thing. Sure. Right? Now, did did that film out out there? It looks like a ter- terrain wise. The Edge is that was that sort of a, a a venue for you into that because you were known by local um local cast directors is it, how, how did you end up on on in the cast of the edge well yeah you know it, if you saw it you see there's very few roles in it there's hardly mm-hmm. any acting roles in it and i actually got uh, the role uh, out of la because i was visiting a friend mm-hmm. and uh a casting director in vancouver who was looking after the canadian casting of which there was very little. I think there was just a couple other guys uh, that got on that from Canada. But he called down because he said the director had come in and seen um, a little tape of one of the parts I had done for this Canadian casting director. Then I, you know, you do auditions, you go away, right? So here I'm in an LA, I get this call saying, uh, you got to get down to Fox Studios tomorrow because Hmm. There's a, a cast, the LA casting director wants to meet you. And I went, oh, okay, sure. So I go down there. She has me read all these different, all these different things. And uh, by the time I got back to Canada, they said, you're on the edge, man. You, you got this role. You're going to be on there for a month. Wow. I went, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. So that, you know, that's happenstance, right? Hey, that, that was good luck. And uh and then once you're on a feature like that, when the other big features come in, they know you've done one. So you at least get a crack mm-hmm. at a few more. You know, I mean, I was on very small part, but I was ha- happy to be on it. Uh, Snow falling on cedars. That was uh, yep. uh, Ethan Hawke um, and, and some 
other really excellent actors. So I, I didn't have a very big scene, but you know, I was 18 days on that shoot. <laughs> 18 wow. days. It's just, it was crazy, you know? Just, let's go back to the motel. We'll call you. We're going to do a little more. And <laughs> oh, we didn't get that right. And then it snowed and it'd go back again. So, I was going to ask you without going to all the specifics, but you know, Dean asked you about this, you know, talk us through a day on the set. Yeah. Not going into every detail, but you mentioned it. You know, a month on set of the edge, 18 days on snow falling on cedars. Yeah. How different is the energy making a feature versus making a TV show that's yeah. got 10 days? Is it, yeah. I mean, is it night and day different in the process? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you might spend two days shooting one page on a big feature. Wow. Right. They can't do that. Two days on one page. You got to do uh, 10 pages a day almost, <laughs> or five anyway. Right. Sure. Uh, whereas the the, uh, the edge, God, they they built this great big lodge, and uh, and and the uh, you, you know there'd be a scene they would uh, light that lodge perfectly, and you'd be hanging around and hanging around. I didn't mind because I was talking to Alec Baldwin and, and Tony <laughs> Hopkins and people like that, and so I thought, yeah, I'll take all the time you want. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm in no hurry here. So you would maybe do a, a couple of scenes that day, right? A couple mm. of scenes. And and then there was the underwater stuff. It took forever to shoot that. And, and that was done in an Olympic swimming pool, a lot of it, you right. know, where they could get all the camera equipment in. And, and it took a long time to set up all those shots. Mm. And the scene in there where I die, that actually took all day to shoot. And I'm only in there flipping my head back. I'm obviously dead. But they, <laughs> wanted, they wanted it perfect. Right. You know? They said, oh, no, I think your eye might have fluttered a little bit on that one. And then, <laughs> then people will know you're not dead because this is on a great big screen. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, so, and, you and know, I have... I had to learn scuba diving to do that scene. Oof. I had to learn. I had to pretty much get a ticket because you're underwater. And if anything goes wrong, you have to know what the hell to do. That's basically it. So I had uh, I had an oxygen tank right there all the time, right down my side. And then there were uh, stunt guys always swimming around just outside the shot. And if you got in any trouble, zoom, they'd, they'd be in there. So... That there, all that little bit where the after the plane has crashed and it's underwater, and uh, two of them escape, and then Alec Baldwin tries to save me, and he looks, t- takes my head, and goes, "Nah, he's dead." All that took days to shoot. I mean, you know, like you could never, you could never do that on a TV show. You could never do that with with, with that consideration. You know, you you hear about these stories about you know the great Kubrick making somebody do somebody 170 times. And then you have the rapid pace of television. Do you yeah. find that TV directors are less exacting than film directors? Like because of the, because of the, because of the abundance, maybe not abundance, but maybe because they have more time, but do you find a difference between a TV director and a film director or is a film director goes, no, again, 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 yeah. whereas a TV director is like, just go. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. And um uh, a TV director can be very exacting, though, because they can put that pressure on you, make you know that you've only got uh, uh. a very little finite window to get this shot. And don't fuck up. They don't say that, but <laughs> that's the implication. I bet some do. <laughs> <laughs> some, 
Some will say that, <laughs> but um, yeah, that like you sometimes just feel that pressure, you know. You got yeah. they're saying, okay, we're losing the light now, and we we got to move on to a different location tomorrow, and uh, we still got this dialogue scene, this heavy dialogue scene to finish. So let's go, right? Right, right. Yeah, and and they say we'll we'll just rehearse it once and let's go, let's roll on this, right? Let's roll on the rehearsal even in in case they luck out and get it right, you know? (laughs) That makes me think of... Yeah, it's a different kind of pressure, you see. A silly little question about making a TV show like The X-Files with the time constraints. Something I always think, you know, watching, you know, The X-Files is on, and it feels like every other episode... And one, at least one scene, if not multiple, they're yeah. raining and it's outside. And they get their umbrellas up. And I always, you know, think it's such a good part of the vibe of the show. But yeah. then I think, and I'm like, well, it's, it's Vancouver. Is it just like, well, it's fucking raining. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how much, is that really just all it is? Is like, if it's raining and we get two days, it, then we're going to shoot in the rain. Is that, That's is it. that how that works? That's it. And I'll add to that. The fact that a lot of shots for X-Files were done up in an area called Seymour mountain which is uh, north of this town of vancouver it's there's a part of vancouver called north vancouver it's near that it's way up high and it's always murky and cloudy and it rains a hell of a lot like if you vancouver city is rainy but this place up here probably gets twice as much Mm. precipitation as downtown vancouver gets so it is literally Raining a Chris, lot. Chris Carter is probably like, I, I expected a sunny program, but shit, I guess we'll yeah. take it all the raining. Yeah. I know. I know. And you know, Vancouver gets beautiful weather too. So, I mean, yeah, of course. It, it, uh, there were those days. But, and I will say this you know, I was talking about that some TV directors can put pressure on you. I never felt that on the X Files, mm. ever. I never felt like it's, all right, hurry up, we got to get this. Uh, some made-for-TV movies, which was kind of my bread and butter for a while. A lot of them were like that. <laughs> you know, they had a certain number of pages to get, and they had to show the certain number of rushes to the L.A. producer, and they they wanted to get, you know, nine pages done that day. <laughs> God damn it. And uh, yeah. let's get this one here. I'm tired of redoing this one. Let's get it. Right? right. That, that kind of attitude came across sometimes. Right. You've mentioned a couple of, uh... A couple, you know, people that you've had connections with on the show or, or in other work you've done, um, I guess just on a personal level, is there anybody, um, other actors, cast, crew that, that you kind of formed some connections with from the X-Files that went beyond just your, your time on the show? Yes, uh, there were, uh, uh, there's been a lot of people I've met through this business that are, uh, friends now that I didn't know before. And, um, yeah, there's people that come and go and you didn't you did a scene with them, but then you didn't spend much time with them. And then others you maybe didn't do any scene with, but you talked uh, uh, off the set and got to know them and then went and had drinks after, you know. So so it was that kind of variance. And some of those people are uh, I'm still in touch with uh, to, to this day. Uh, not as much because, you know, uh, I think you said it. Uh, um, Every everybody's so busy nowadays doing stuff, and there's social media, and everyone's right. trying to keep up on Facebook and uh, Instagram, and you name it. So every once in a while, I'll see one on there and go, "Oh, I'm going to say hi to him. I haven't seen him or her uh, for a long, long time." So it's like that now. Sure. But but back in the day, in the '90s and uh, late '80s, '90s, and in the early 2000s, I saw those people 
fair amount. And we became friends. Absolutely. Yeah, good friends from there. Cool. So yeah. Larry, I have I have kind of a funny request. So okay. as we as we are dropping this episode uh right before Jose Chung's oh, yeah. your <laughs> your the line that's a bleeping dead alien body if I ever bleeping saw one is to most X Files viewers one of the most iconic lines ever spoken by a guest star. <laughs> What do you think? Could we get you to give an uncensored version of, of that that read? Maybe <laughs> something that <laughs> real version. Yeah, you mentioned you actually had to swear in the audition. So, yeah, at first they wanted to see if I was a guy who swore. <laughs> I always have swore rather easily. <laughs> I got that impression. So you want me to say it with the real words in it? If you don't mind, it'd be a real treat for for us and for the listeners. Okay, all right. I'm saying it now, and. Uh, I'm looking over at the dead body. Yeah, that's a fucking dead alien body if I ever fucking saw one. <laughs> awesome. Bravo, my good man. Bravo. <laughs> the real word. The unexpurgated version. <laughs> that beat was very dramatic. I just want to tell you. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, uh, it's been It's been awesome. We could keep doing this for a long time. So... Again, yeah, I good yeah. to meet you guys. Awesome. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Honestly, we didn't really know what to expect. And this has been this has been a, a blast. It's I mean been fun, yeah. such a treat to talk to. Um, is there anything you want to promote? Shout out to listeners. If you have social media, if you have stuff you're working on now, anything you want to throw out there? I wish I was working on something now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um All right, we'll see you next week, Larry. No. <laughs> you know, I might have something then. You know, when this COVID Goddamn monster, little monster hit. I had two plays, two live mm. theater plays. And of course, they're shot to the wind, right? Yeah, you right. can't have audience sitting close together in a live theater space. Even the actors, you got to get right in each other's faces. You got to yeah. basically, that's one thing about theater acting is you pretty much have to spit on each other to really project that uh, that uh, scene and, and, and make it real. So theater live live theaters are, are goner right now and mm-hmm. I, I know there's some people doing some stuff uh online and and a, a friend of mine that i did a, a play with a couple of years ago wants to remount some scenes from that play as part of this other collective thing he's doing to a limited audience uh, I, sure i'll do that i'll i'll be happy to do that but um yeah yeah my focus went more towards that and now it's uh it's hurting yeah and, that whole live theater scene is hurting. And and you guys probably know that because you're not going to any live stage plays or right anything. Now. Live anything. Yeah. yeah. Concerts, music concerts, whatever <laughs> it is, if it's live, it's it's hurting. So no, um there's some people who are you must know what fanfic writers are. Yes. Oh, yeah. And and X Files has got a plethora of those. Mm-hmm. And, and some have approached me about doing uh, an online kind of uh, sequel to uh, Jose Chung, where <laughs> they 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 find the uh, they find the old bleeping detective, and he's uh, <laughs> completely, completely lost his marbles, and because <laughs> that was so berserk and traumatic, he he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't stay with it, right? <laughs> and so he'll he gets interrogated as to what really happened that night, and I thought. Geez, now that sounds real interesting, but it's that's as far as it's gone. It's the idea right. stage, and I've talked to some of these writers; they're interested, and and they asked me if I could find. Do you know who Alex Dykin is? He was in he was in that episode and a few other episodes. 
he was the he, he was trying to get the um he was the hypnotist trying to get oh yes. of course of course sleepy yep. <laughs> you know and all that and that was him and he'd be great and <laughs> and they said if you can get hold of him he'd be the guy interrogating you well i haven't been able to get a hold of him uh, um so if that ever happens i will tune you guys into it thank well, you too yeah it, uh, i'd love to do it it'd it just be an online thing you know a little fun thing but it would be fun, right? That's great. Be enjoyable. Okay, guys. Thank All you right. so much, my friend. It was a pleasure, pleasure meeting you. You've been a joy to have. And uh, yeah, you, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon. Okay. Well, uh, where would I be able to, uh, oh, you're doing it right away. You got it coming up. Eh? This will be coming out in, uh, what do we got? Uh, next week is Hell Money and the, after that, right? Yeah. So, this yeah. should this should within drop, two weeks. Yeah, this should drop. So we'll do Hell Money on the eighth. That will drop on the twelfth. So I think October twenty sixth, Jose Chung's okay. would drop. So why don't you want to drop this the week before the nineteenth? Yeah, and we'll and we'll tag you on Twitter so you know exactly oh, when it drops. Good, that's what I was hoping. Yeah, I yep. would just give me a little reminder and uh, absolutely, I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, tune in and see what uh, what happens with all that. That sounds awesome. interesting. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Larry. You've been a pleasure. Thank you. It was good talking to you guys. Yes, sir. Cheers, Larry. You've been listening to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. Visit us on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net. 